0: Soundstripe.
1: Welcome to Mommy Brain Revisited, the neuroscience of parenting. I'm your host, Dr. Jodi Paluski. And today, it's really my pleasure to have Dr. Jamie McGuire here, sharing with us some of her research on allopregnanolone, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Uh, Dr. McGuire is an associate professor of neuroscience in the Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences at Tufts University. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So today, I wanted to talk really about your work on allopregnanolone and how Your work was really the basis for this first treatment, Zolreso, for postpartum depression. My first question, of course, is what is allopregnanolone?
2: Allopregnanolone is a neuroactive steroid, which just means that it exerts actions in the central nervous system. It can be synthesized from cholesterol or from steroid hormone precursors such as progesterone, and it the known mechanism of action is thought to be primarily through GABA-A receptors.
1: Okay. And so, so allopregnanolone kind of can modulate these receptors. And I guess my question is because we're talking about the maternal brain or the parental brain, but I think more specifically the maternal brain here, is what's the role of allopregnanolone then in the brain during pregnancy, birth, and postpartum?
2: So we think that these neurosteroid-sensitive GABA receptors are localized in places that can influence mood. And we started these studies looking at how these receptors are regulated by steroid hormones and neurosteroids, and we find that they're regulated by changing concentrations of these steroid hormone levels over the estrous cycle and throughout the peripartum period. And so what we find is that as allopregnanolone levels rise during pregnancy and they reach about 100-fold increase in levels during the third trimester, that the expression of these receptors becomes downregulated. And we proposed and tested the hypothesis that this downregulation of GABA receptors in the face of these very high levels of, of steroid hormones and neurosteroids during pregnancy is a homeostatic mechanism at the time of delivery these levels begin to dramatically decline and it's thought that that dramatic reduction in allopregnant levels increases vulnerability to mood disorders in certain individuals
1: So basically, then the idea is that allopregnanolone maintains some sort of homeostasis in our mood regions of our brain, I guess, during pregnancy and the postpartum period. And so then if there's a dysregulation, there could be a problem. And I think you showed that in your paper a few years ago, primarily with uh, animal models, correct?
2: Correct. Yeah. So we've shown that there's Um, this homeostatic regulation of GABA receptors and that the inability to recover these receptors as allopregnanolone levels fall um, is associated with abnormal postpartum behaviors.
1: So walk me just briefly through this paper. Yeah, so we were looking at
2: the steroid hormone regulation of GABA receptors. What we discovered is that mice that lack these neurosteroid-sensitive GABA receptors have abnormal postpartum behavior, so they exhibit a depression-like phenotype that's restricted to the postpartum period and they also have profound deficits in maternal care that we think is due to this dysregulation in the steroid hormone regulation of GABA receptors so we use this model to look at the underlying neurobiology of postpartum depression um, as well as test treatments and so we were the first ones to demonstrate that positive allosteric modulators of GABA receptors are effective in alleviating these symptoms in our preclinical models. And so, this was the studies that kind of laid the foundation for the use of GABA PAMs for the treatment of postpartum depression. Our work is, is translational. We use these models to test treatments, but we are also interested in understanding the underlying neurobiology of postpartum depression and using these models to to understand the process of how uh, individuals may be vulnerable to postpartum depression. Using these models that lack the neurosteroid sensitive GABA receptors, we were able to tie the abnormal postpartum behaviors to alterations in stress reactivity during the peripartum period. So typically, the stress-induced activation of the HPA axis is suppressed during uh, the peripartum period, and that's thought to be a protective mechanism to protect both the mother and the fetus. But what we found in these, these models that exhibit abnormal postpartum behaviors is that they had the inability to suppress their stress response during the peripartum period. So they actually have an exacerbated stress response during this postpartum period where these abnormal postpartum behaviors emerge. And so we started to to test that as a potential underlying mechanism. And that launched some studies where we were looking at the role of neurosteroids in the regulation of the HPA axis and looking at how we generated another genetic model that had the inability to suppress the HPA axis during this peripartum period. And they demonstrate the exact same phenotypes. They have depression-like behaviors that are restricted to the postpartum period. They have abnormal maternal care. And again, the only commonality between these models is the inability to suppress the stress response during the peripartum period. And so we think that mechanistically that might be a link. And that was something that was suggested from the clinical population, but is very hard to test in the clinical population. And with the heterogeneity in the patient population, it's difficult to pull out those potential neuroendocrine mediators. At least in our preclinical models, we're able to show that dysregulation of the HPA axis during the peripartum period increases vulnerability to postpartum mood disorders.
1: This is very interesting and perhaps not a surprise that stress or the stress regulation axis is a key player in peripartum mood disorders, just like it is in mood disorders at other time in life, and of course, anxiety disorders. I mean, you did this work in MICE models, so it's somehow your work and in collaboration with Others, I'm assuming, has led rapidly to something that is based on neurosteroid function that is effective in treating postpartum depression. Can you talk a little bit about how you were involved in that?
2: Sure. I discussed our preclinical evidence that neurosteroid-sensitive GABA receptors and alterations in neurosteroids themselves may contribute to these abnormal postpartum behaviors. And I should say that You know, the idea that allopregnanolone or steroid hormones may play a role in postpartum depression was assumed based on the timing of the clinical presentation with the dramatic decline in steroid hormone levels and neurosteroid levels that was immediately thought to play a role in postpartum depression. So that part certainly wasn't a new discovery.
1: And I just want to stop you there for a minute because I think there's a lot of assumptions, not only that elopregnanolone, but estradiol and progesterone and cort are all or cortisol are all important because they change from pregnancy to the postpartum period. But then I think your research is really the only strong evidence that has led to us being able to figure out and treat some women who are struggling post, with postpartum depression. You've really showed the importance of allopregnanolone for the postpartum period. That's my praise of your research. Well, thank you.
2: Well, I think the part of the problem is that this was thought to be an underlying mechanism because of the timing of symptom onset. But the challenge was really in the patient population that those changes are really hard to detect in a heterogeneous patient population with. A limited number of patients that you can enroll in these types of studies. And so I think that's really been the challenge in definitively linking some of these changes in the clinical population. And so the advantage of preclinical work, and certainly I'll, I'll tell you that we have been challenged for years over studying such a complex disorder in a rodent model. And so I completely, acknowledge the limitations of preclinical studies when you're studying something like postpartum depression but the advantages is that you can actually start to rigorously test whether some of these changes are sufficient to increase vulnerability or sufficient to elicit the symptoms reminiscent of postpartum depression and so there are advantages to using these preclinical models. And, and what we were able to do preclinically is directly tie deficits in neurosteroid signaling to abnormal postpartum behaviors in a rodent model. And then using that model test whether PAMs for GABA receptors be, or positive allosteric modulators for GABA receptors would be useful treatments. And we demonstrated that using our mouse models back in 2008. So it was really only a 10-year period from the initial study demonstrating that gabapams are beneficial in preclinical models for the treatment of postpartum depression to the FDA approval. And so that's, I think, a pretty fast timeline. And the reason is that Sage Therapeutics, strategy was, we think that these gabapams will be useful treatments and we're going to set up our portfolio around that idea and then start to look for patient populations which would benefit from these treatments. So they actually first started with a super refractory status epilepticus patient population and that clinical trial failed. And what they did was then, in part based on our research surrounding postpartum depression, decided that that might be a useful patient population to target, and then went into an open-label study and then successful phase two and and phase three clinical trials leading up to FDA approval for Zolresone. I should disclose that I'm actually on the scientific advisory board for Sage Therapeutics and largely around their postpartum depression
1: portfolio. Which is a good thing, of course. Well, it's
2: wonderful for me because it um, allows me to still feel involved as they take it to the next level. And I think one of the frustrating things for basic scientists is you can really take your ideas so far and we had done a lot of research surrounding this idea that these gabapams would be useful for the treatment of postpartum depression, but we're definitely not in a position to embark on launching a, a company in, in clinical trials. And so having them start going through the clinical trials with Brexanolone now Zulreso, and just being able to feel like I was a part of that in, in some way, was really rewarding.
1: I bet. And
2: I'm really grateful for the opportunity to stay connected to that part of the journey.
1: I think as a basic scientist, it's rare that you get to see such a quick translation to the clinic and then to hear the stories of this medication being so effective. It sounds like a very rewarding venture that you've been on.
2: It's been wonderful. I mean, it's been really wonderful. And I I get emails from people that have seen firsthand how patients are affected by the treatment is, it's, it's just incredible. People are really benefiting from this treatment. And so again, it's just, I'm really grateful just to be kind of connected to it in some way. And it's also been used as an example of translational research, which has, you know, made it through to the clinic. And I think that's important, particularly for mental health. And right now at the National Institute of Mental Health, there's been a lot of, I think, attack on preclinical models for research in mental health. And so I think it's good that we have an example of an effective treatment that came out of basic science research.
1: It's also great because it's the first treatment for postpartum depression exclusively. And this is amazing because, and we haven't mentioned this, but what is it, one in seven women will have uh, depression to some degree in the postpartum period. So this is a significant number of the population. And people say about 80% of women will have children. So if you think about it, it's for the first time an effective treatment for severe postpartum depression. It is life-changing for the mom, as well as the child and the the family. Absolutely. And I
2: think that's one of the reasons that it it did get into the clinic, so, you know, they had an expedited FDA approval, and it was because that this is a population with an unmet need, because there was not a specific treatment for postpartum depression that they were able to, I think, more quickly move through the approval process and get it into the hands of patients that need it.
1: Yeah. So moving back to the animal model, though, because we've talked about postpartum depression, but in your animal models, was it also not these medications or allopregnanolone, at least, not implicated in anxiety-like behaviors as well?
2: Yes. So we've been doing a lot of work on anxiety-like behaviors in rodents recently. Anxiolytic effects of allopregnanolone have been demonstrated previously previously. And what we're trying to do now is understand the mechanisms through which allopregnanolone exerts anxiolytic effects. But our preclinical data definitely supports the anxiolytic effects of allopregnanolone. Clinical trials with the siege compounds, they actually, even though their primary endpoint was uh, depression scores, they also did measures to examine the impact on anxiety in the patient population. And they went back and they did a a press conference going over the anxiety data. And it had a very profound effect on anxiety measures as well. And so I think that allopregnanolone could be also a useful treatment for anxiety disorders.
1: Yeah, because that was my question, because we know that perinatal or peripartum anxiety is also quite common and quite can be quite elevated in a number of women. And then some of these women will also have depression, of course, as a comorbidity. But I think, as you said, it looks promising for anxiety disorders. My other thing I wanted to touch on, because we're talking about postpartum, we're actually not talking about pregnancy. And I'm assuming that Zelresso is not useful during pregnancy. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about that.
2: You know, as as well as I, that there's been a lot of discussion recently about whether peripartum onset of depression is unique from postpartum onset of depression in the patient population. And all of the studies that have been done so far, so our preclinical studies and the clinical trials have all been postpartum treatment. And I think that the... The critical thing here would be to use it prepartum. I think would require a, a biomarker for patients requiring treatment. So I don't think that you would have a treatment intervention unless you knew that this patient population was extremely vulnerable to developing postpartum depression. So I think that that's what we're missing. We're missing a biomarker that would enable us to initiate treatment. Because I think it would be valuable if particularly this rapid decline at the time of delivery in levels of of these neurosteroids, if you could maintain and kind of taper off slowly, I think that would also be beneficial. But again, I think in order to initiate that type of treatment, you'd have to have a lot of evidence that intervention was necessary prior to the postpartum period.
1: Yeah, I guess because also you're dealing with a very different level of allopregnanolone at that time in pregnancy. And so you'd probably need a number of, well, biological markers, as you mentioned, along with, of course, mood and anxiety levels to figure out exactly if it would work out. But maybe that's something in the future, if we could develop targeted treatments for individuals based on biomarkers would be great.
2: Absolutely. I know There's a lot of people working on that, and specifically trying to parse out what are the unique features and potential biomarkers for kind of prepartum onset versus postpartum onset?
1: Yeah, and I think it's I mean postpartum it's also a bit easier to give this type of medication without um you know, you won't affect the fetus, for example, and so there's lots of questions, of course, during pregnancy about medications use in general.
2: Yeah. So the nice thing, and I again, I think that this is one of the reasons that Zolresto received FDA approval so quickly is this is a naturally occurring neurosteroid, and so the risks of adverse events was much lower. And I think that's one of the nice things about this treatment is for anyone, but particularly new mothers, people are more comfortable with taking a naturally occurring uh, substance.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Because we talked about targeted treatments, so I'm assuming some women maybe don't respond as well to allopregnanolone. Yes,
2: that is correct. So there is a, a subset of, of patients that were non-responders. I don't, I don't actually know the exact year, but it was a minority of, of patients that were non-responders. I think this gets to the heterogeneity of the patient population is one of the things that we proposed a long time ago was that there may be a subset of patients that lack the site for neurosteroid potentiation, and that could increase risk. And so you could imagine that in this group of non-responders, if they don't have these neurosensitive GABA receptors, or they have a mutation in these neurosensitive, uh, neurosteroid-sensitive GABA receptors, that they would be non-responders. And so, identifying those patients and identifying which patients would be would benefit from treatment versus those that uh, wouldn't would also be useful to know as far as personalized medicine and personalized treatment approaches. And so,
1: then my next question is. Are you working on other potential areas of focus? I mean, you mentioned this this stress reactivity system, and I know you have some recent work looking in more detail at specific receptors or aspects of that system that could be potential targets for treatment.
2: You know, we've identified that dysregulation of the HPA axis increases vulnerability to postpartum mood disorders. But what we don't know is how that happens. And so we really think that that's kind of a triggering mechanism or a priming mechanism. So we're looking downstream of that. How does that affect networks that are implicated in mood? And, And we've been looking at how this dysregulation of the HPA axis at a time where it's supposed to be suppressed is altering networks implicated in mood and how that might contribute to Really, disease presentation,
1: and then I guess the the hopes would be well again to develop a nice story. Basic science wise, could be translating to the clinic again,
2: right? So we are looking at a couple of different translational paths, and one of them is targeting this HPA axis dysfunction, and another one is looking at how we can harness the endogenous neurosteroid synthesis pathway, and so all of the preclinical studies and the clinical studies so far have all focused on using exogenous administration of allopregnanolone, uh, which has demonstrated effectiveness. But there's also, you know, some um, adverse effects of exogenous administration of neurosteroids that has impacts on immune function the reproductive systems and, and other things so we know that the brain synthesizes neurosteroids endogenously yeah so can we tap into that system and stimulate endogenous neurosteroid synthesis so that neurosteroids are synthesized where they should be delivered where they should be and hopefully that would have the same treatment effects, but, but overall be a superior approach because you're administering aloe only where it's supposed to be delivered and working with the endogenous uh, neurosteroid synthesis that naturally occurs in the body rather than providing just giving exogenous uh, neurosteroid.
1: Yeah, that would be ideal, right? Interesting
2: so we are we're working very hard to explore that and identify targets and and move that forward because i do think that that would be a good next generation treatment
1: definitely so i guess my question is and we've talked about this before i started recording but where do you get funding for your research
2: well first of all i wanted to thank you for for taking the time to highlight this work and for supporting and advocating for perinatal mental health and studies on maternal behavior, because it is underappreciated, uh, and part of the problem is that we have a lot of wonderful people that have been working in this field that have really struggled to to get financial support for these studies. So, despite the fact that, like you mentioned earlier, this is a postpartum depression is a is very prevalent and impacts not only women's health but it impacts the offspring it impacts the whole family it has not received a lot of attention clinically or in the basic science research and we've had to cobble together funds to keep this part of our research program going because it's been it hasn't been supported by the national institute of mental health And we haven't received um, a lot of federal funds to support this research. And so we're really grateful that we've been able to to keep these studies going. But I know a lot of other wonderful researchers in the field that haven't been able to to do that because it has been highly underfunded. And that's one of the things I think would really make a difference. And Recently, there's been a call to action for increased screening for patients. And I'm hoping that that increased awareness trickles down to the basic science research and their appreciation for the the importance of these studies is pushed more to the forefront.
1: And I definitely agree with you. I think it's shocking that your research has been the basis for a development of a medication and you haven't been funded by a national agency to actually do it. So somewhere there's a gap and it's not just happening in the States, it's happening in other countries um, with regards to maternal health, mental health research and women's health research in general. It's a huge problem. And I think I'm hoping, like you said, with increased screening, with increased awareness, with increased discussion, that we can improve things. And yeah, I know, I'm hoping also with this podcast and by talking to researchers like you and people hearing about your experiences and how much you've contributed to our knowledge of maternal mental health and the maternal brain and behavior that, and how much we need to still know that we will be able to improve things as well. Thank you for all of that you're
2: doing.
1: Oh, thank you. I think the only other thing I was going to ask is if you have anything to add. I guess the
2: things that I wanted to highlight is the importance of preclinical studies. So even though we acknowledge the limitations, that they're very useful for getting at some of these mechanisms of underlying neurobiology of of many diseases, and certainly we think useful for postpartum depression. And also for screening compounds. So we used these preclinical models to screen drugs developed by Sage Therapeutics, which was used for their FDA application. And so we know that these animal models recapitulate some of the features of the patient uh, presentation, but also respond to the same treatments. And that's very valuable. And that also gives us another tool that we can use to look at at say how things are changed in our preclinical models and how these treatments are working as a tool to understand the underlying neurobiology. We're still at a, a, a point where these studies on women health are undervalued and hopefully with advocacy and things like you're doing will will change
0: things.
1: Yeah, and thank you. I definitely think this is the way we have to go. We have to keep talking about it and demanding that more funding, uh, is available so that we can improve women's health research and perinatal mental health for sure, or peripartum, I should use, because perinatal often refers to baby. But let's not forget mothers. That's my, my pitch there. So I want to thank you again. It's been great talking with you. I think your research has been so inspiring and I hope that people see how much you have done with very little in terms of funding and you've gotten so far. It's amazing. So thank you. Well,
2: thank you. It was wonderful talking with you.
1: Questions, comments, suggestions, get in touch at mommy brain revisited on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can also contact me on my website at jodipaluski.com. That's J-O-D-I-P-A-W-L-U-S-K-I.com. Looking forward to hearing from you.